0: Hello, and welcome to Dear Hank and John
1: That was low energy <laughs> Hello,
0: and welcome to Dear Hank and John Doors
1: i I prefer to think of it,
0: Dear John and Hank It's a comedy podcast in which two brothers answer your questions, give you dubious advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon John Green, how are you doing? I mean, no, John, what is the elephant in the room?
1: Alright, are you ready? Three, two, one, Man, The Golden
0: State Killer Ha,
1: ha, ha. So, my elephant in the room is Manhole. Hank, in last week's pod, you suggested that a really excellent name for a pet would be Manhole. I put you under a lot of pressure to come up with 20 good pet names in 20 seconds, and you came up with seven, and I thought you were going to crush it, but then you came up with Manhole, which was pretty disappointing, except that several people were inspired to name their own pets Manhole, including Abby, who wrote in, Dear John and Hank, I'd like to introduce you to Manhole, or Manny for short, and (laughs) adorable little kitten. She also signed off, she's not too shh, Abby. Really good name specific sign off Mm, Abby. mm -hmm. Also, Jack wrote in uh, to introduce us to his fish manhole and Anna went so far as to rename her 15 year old cat uh, who had previously been named Casper, (laughs) which is a perfectly reasonable cat name, but is now named manhole, which I'm sure your 15 year old cat will be very grateful for, Anna. I'm sure that that's going to be a highlight is being suddenly renamed in the last presumably few years of your life. Yeah,
0: and like the golden, the twilight years of your cat's life is just like, wait, what? It's, huh? always,
1: been, it's always been my hope to retire and be renamed manhole.
0: Well, you know, John, you could do that right now. You could just be done, and all you're gonna do is podcast with me, and that's it. And then I wouldn't be, like, be done.
1: Welcome to Dear Hank and Manhole. I would not be done. Just for the record, my retirement does not involve podcasting with you every week. Well, then do not retire, Hank. Why is the Golden
0: State Killer the elephant in the room? Um, I don't. I. Don't listen to many true crime podcasts or consume much true crime content. I don't really like it. It gives me uh, the heebie-jeebies. But I do follow a number of people on Twitter who are super into true crime, including people who who are kind of into it professionally and do that for a living. Um, and the Golden State Killer is a guy who killed a bunch of people a, more than a decade ago. I don't know how many more than a decade. Oh, like it was like forty ago.
1: years ago. And as yeah. a result of Michelle McNamara's and her colleagues' work, at least in part. The Golden State Killer uh, has been arrested just this morning as we're recording this. He is a 72-year-old man today, uh, but more than 40 years ago, he began attacking women and has been responsible for several murders and many more assaults and has been captured today. It is an incredible story that this uh, 40-year search for a criminal has finally come to an end. So congratulations to everybody who's worked so hard on that, to all the law enforcement people involved on closing that case and that uh, very dark
0: chapter in California history. Hank. Um, and, And John, thank you for knowing a lot more about my elephant than I did. I just, it was just on my, it's just trending on Twitter and that's all I knew.
1: Oh yeah. I have, you know, I haven't been on Twitter today. How's it been?
0: Um, I figured out how to tweet nothing. Oh, well, that that is a huge development. <laughs> John, uh, how are things going? You, is everything good over the, the John Green world?
1: Yes, I'm just back from London, where I spent a few days with my son in London. It was his first international trip since we lived for a few months in Amsterdam when he was one. And we had a great Time. We had a really, really lovely time together, and he got to have a really special visit to AFC Wimbledon, which is something that he's been looking forward to for a long time as a member of the Dons Junior Trust, which any child can join. It's only like mm. $25 a year. It's so great to uh, be a, a co owner of this wonderful c- community owned fan fan-based club and Hank Henry had a really wonderful special day he got to meet a bunch of the players they signed a ball for him it was really really wonderful but we'll get to all of that during the news from AFC Wimbledon Hank we need to get speaking of true crime to our first question oh this question comes from Herbie who asks dear John and Hank do dead bodies get sunburn?" not planning anything <laughs> Herbie <laughs>
0: Well, thank you for the clarification, Herbie.
1: Yeah, otherwise we would have thought that you were planning anything. Just kidding, Herbie. That's what people who are planning things say. They say they're not sure. planning anything.
0: John, you might be surprised to learn that I did a bunch of research on whether the dead bodies get sunburned. I didn't have
1: to do research on it because I was just in the British Museum where I saw a heavily sunburned dead body just sitting there in the middle of the museum and they were like, Wait. look at this mummy. He dried out in the sun and we know how he died. And I I was trying to shield Henry from it. But Henry was like, oh, wow, that is amazing. And good. And Henry was like, he died of a shoulder wound. He got stabbed by a long knife. And I was like, great. I'm glad that that we know this much about this 8000 year old man. And I'm sure that he would be absolutely delighted to find himself dried and sunburnt in the British Museum. Can dead bodies get sunburned, Hank?
0: Um, They can get damaged by the sun. But a sunburn is a pretty specific uh, set of things that happen. Um, And it is... It is not just the damage that is done. In fact, like basically, what happens is your cells get damaged by the sun, and then your body has a reaction and inflames that area to do to do the repair work. And a lot of times, that uh, is actually the thing that is causing the discomfort is the inflammation um, of the repair rather than the damage itself. But the damage itself also can cause a lot of problems and uh, depending on how severe it is. So yeah, it's uh, the the cells can get damaged and they can get damaged whether or not they are alive. And actually, like interestingly, cells continue to like do some metabolizing stuff after the the what we would consider the death. So they can the, the individual cells will continue to be alive even after the person is dead. And so you, can, you could still get some of that inflammation. You could get some of that, um, even some like melanin production. So you would get a very, maybe even tiny amount of tanning that would happen after the body died, but only for a very short amount of time.
1: Well, I am glad that I know that. I feel <laughs> that my life has been enriched almost as much as if I had learned how to tweet nothing. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I uh, I got to keep working on how to on, on tweeting nothing, John. I but
1: I mean, wouldn't it be amazing
0: if we all just started tweeting nothing? Wouldn't it be? It's just like suddenly my timeline was just like for an entire day nothing. Just people then, tweeting, but there was nothing in the tweets. Maybe you we know. Maybe that it should be a, a holiday. Maybe we should then, make that happen. Uh-huh. Are we powerful enough to create a day on which people just tweet nothing? How powerful are we? Are we there yet? Because that's really the goal. First off,
1: we're on the other side of the mountain. So when you say, are we there yet? It implies that (laughs) we're about to become more famous when, in fact, we will just become slowly less and less powerful over the next several decades, Mm. which I would argue is welcome news. The people who have replaced us are far better on every level. Secondly, uh, no, we are not even close to powerful (laughs) enough to have a site wide day of tweeting nothing. No.
0: And then just everybody responds to each other with nothing and then like there's more nothing and everybody likes each other's tweets and retweets nothing. I don't know, John. See the thing we are, we're not getting we're not getting more popular. Fewer people are knowing who we are agreed. But what if we're getting more influential because the people who do know who we are are getting really good jobs in like uh, managing social media celebrity accounts? <laughs> just you let think us the person, know.
1: You think the person who's tweeting for Kanye right now is a nerdfighter? <laughs> yeah, uh, who knows? I mean, whoever's tweeting for Kanye, I, just a quick word of advice. Stop. Tweet nothing. Tweet nothing. And maybe, in fact, that's good advice for all of us. I find myself less and less interested in Twitter. It, my interest in Twitter is limited almost exclusively to your podcast, Delete This. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, it's, it is it uh, is probably the best way to consume Twitter. It only takes an hour of your life every week, and you don't have to be on Twitter. Yeah, it's been great so far.
1: I've really enjoyed it. Hank, why don't mm-hmm. you ask another question?
0: This question comes from Sarah, who asks, Dear Hank and John, I've heard that newborns think that their mother's body is just part of their own body. How do we know what babies think? How do you science a baby? Que sera, Sarah? I don't know that we know that much about
1: what babies think, Sarah, but we know that even like four year olds still sort of think of their mothers as an extension of their bodies.
0: Here's a really weird thing, John. I realized, um, you know, a, f- a few months into my child being born, and like he, like when he came, when he was like a suddenly new pe- person in the world, it was like, yes, this was created entirely by. Catherine. This was a a construction completely of things that Catherine did, which is remarkable. But then he's gotten like doubled in size. He's starting to do things and smile and interact. And still, though, He's still entirely Catherine, because at that point, he'd only ever had breast milk in his right. whole life. Right. This baby is an entire, like, so in a way, yes, they maybe do they think that they're part of their mother's body? I'm taking that question and I'm discarding it for a second to say they are. Like, physically, everything that was him up to, like, eight months old, maybe not that long. I don't know when he had his first banana, licked his first piece of bacon or whatever, but... For a long time, there was this human that was entirely constructed out of things Catherine had eaten. Right. It is weird. No, the more you think about babies, the
1: weirder they get. The more you think about human life in general, the weirder it gets. Or just life
0: in general? The thing about babies is, like, it's the most natural thing. Like, of course, like, there is no biology. There are no humans without babies. That's the whole point is to reproduce. That's how biology works. Well, it's not the whole point. So, I, 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 sorry, I don't mean to say that in terms of, like, it's the whole point of life. It's certainly not the whole point of life. But it is, like, like in terms of evolution, in terms of how, like, the sort of physical constraints of biology, um, it does not function without reproduction. But it seems like the weirdest thing, despite it being, like, literally the only necessary part of
1: Life. Right. If you were trying to explain reproduction to an alien planet that didn't have life the way that we have it, they would be like, what? Why? <laughs> How? Why do you have? Why do the babies come why don't out you just- of the parents? Why? Wait, why? Why do they have to eat part of the parents body to survive? That's terrible. It's like there's a great, very short science fiction story that I'm going to butcher in the way of these things that talks about trying to introduce humans to an alien like bureaucracy, like explaining what kind of organism they are. And the bureaucrat is explaining to their boss that humans are a sentient species that is entirely made out of meat.
0: Yeah, I've I've heard this story.
1: And the boss yeah. is like What? Like even their thinking parts <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, meat. They're all meat. No, we're just a bunch of we're just a bunch of collections of meat, really, deep down. That's all we are. So yes Yeah,
0: there's a there's a YouTube video of it which is what I've seen. It's called They're Made Out of Meat. Um Not and they're right. like sitting in a in a like a diner. Like a roadside <laughs> diner and the guy's like what? They're made of meat. Yeah, so there you go.
1: It's not just that babies think of their mothers as an extension of their body. In a way, we're all extensions of each other's bodies and we're all That is made actually
0: where I intended to go from the beginning with this question. We, are, we think that we're separate organisms, but oh, we are not.
1: No, it's the more you think about it, the grosser and weirder it gets. Let's move on to another question.
0: Are you too upset,
1: John? Oh, I just, I really like the idea, as you know, Hank, of being a sovereign being separate from other beings that has its own independent existence and life. And I just can't be that because I am super saturated with bacteria, and then also made out of meat that is made out of other people. Anyway, this next question comes from Alice, who writes, Dear John and Hank, I was just listening to your most recent episode and really enjoyed the discussion about dates of book releases and how John was denied the ability to choose his own release date because all books come out on Tuesday. So I wanted to let you in on a not-so-secret secret James Patterson is the only author whose books come out on a day other than Tuesday. All of his books come out on Monday instead. I'm a cataloging librarian who processes all of the new books that our library purchases, so I see many new release books, DVDs, etc. They all come out on Tuesday except for james patterson
0: just james patterson so all He's... john
1: has to do is become james patterson and then he can choose whichever day of the week he wants john. to publish his books on like
0: wonderland alice is it possible yeah that james patterson all powerful force in the world could make all of twitter tweet nothing for a day because clearly <laughs> he has some power that we do not have
1: Can I tell you a joke that my Uncle Bill, I guess also your Uncle Bill told me that I just found absolutely hilarious?
0: uh, You should have just said my Uncle Bill so we could continue the conspiracy theory that we're not actually related.
1: (laughs) Right, so your Uncle Bill told me this joke. I found it very enjoyable. (laughs) The joke goes like this. John Grisham calls up James Patterson one afternoon and James Patterson's wife answers and John Grisham says, is James there? And Patterson's wife says, oh, he is, but I'm afraid he's working on a book. Uh, Would it be okay if he called you back? And John Grisham says, I'll hold. (laughs) (laughs) Because it only takes James Patterson, like, ten minutes to write a book.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, he must be. He's probably, you know, on average halfway through, so it'll be five minutes, right? Right.
1: So... James Patterson gets to publish his books on Monday because he's James Patterson, and like two-thirds of the overall sales books of books... that come out.
0: Are... <laughs> Not sales, just the total books that that hit the shelves are James Patterson books.
1: At any given moment, half of Barnes & Noble is James Patterson, and the other half is the rest of us. So... Yeah. I just wanted to let you know about that, Hank, in case you want to change the release date of your forthcoming novel, An Absolutely Remarkable Thing, which is currently scheduled to come out on a Tuesday. But maybe you need to call them and ask for the <laughs> Patterson treatment.
0: Well, it is. Monday is the day to do it. Because when I was thinking about this when I was re-listening to our podcast, which I don't usually do, but I did with the last podcast. It was really good. I enjoyed it. We did a good job. And I'm thinking about this that, like, OK, you can't come out on Wednesday because they're going to open the box early. But you could come out on Monday because they'll open the box and if they do, if they forget, then well, it's a day late, and everybody's in the in there being like, you need to open the James Patterson box, and uh, yeah, and and you're getting it's it's more good publicity for you because people are tweeting about it. Um, well, there you go, but, Hank. You certainly can't come out on Wednesday. That's just ludicrous.
1: You've just had the revelation that James Patterson had 25 years ago, and that is the sole reason
0: (laughs) that he has become the most successful author in the United States. There must be, like, a bulwark against the second author being added to the Monday list because it would ruin everything, and suddenly it'd be like, well, I'm a Tuesday author, so I'm not a big deal. But, like, if it's just James Patterson, you know that, like, well, I'm not James Patterson. But if it's, like, five people, you're like, well, why am I not one of those five people, publisher? And then you're writing it into your contract, and you're feeling hurt when you come, your book comes out on Tuesday. You're not a real author. You're a Tuesday author.
1: All of this reminds me of how much publishing and so much of life in adulthood is identical to middle school. <laughs>
0: Yeah. I'm a Tuesday author, John, and I'm happy. Just like I was happy to be a complete social outcast in middle school. That's a lie. It was miserable.
1: Oh, it was terrible. I mean, I felt terrible for you, but I felt worse for myself when it was happening to me.
0: <laughs> All right, John, this, this question is very peripheral related. It's from Emily, who asks, Dear Hank and John, due to the soon... Re- Due to the upcoming release of Avengers Infinity War and the press tour that's happening, I've started to ask myself about fame. What exactly is the reason I want to watch every interview with Benadryl Cucumber Patch? I, didn't, I did not notice that the first time I read through the question, so it was a bit of a surprise. Benadryl cucumber patch. I understand that <laughs> my personal reaction to fame is very subjective and based on my interests. If I met a famous soccer player, I'd be like, wow, that's a famous person, but I wouldn't freak out. Why do we respond to the construct of quote-unquote fame like this, and when did it start? Who were the first fans? That's a fascinating question. Looking forward to learning more in Hank's novel, An Absolutely Remarkable Thing. uh, It's available September 25th and you can get it for pre-order now, signed on Books A Million, Barnes & Noble, and Amazon.com. DFTBA, Emily.
1: Also signed copies will be available at your local independent bookstore, Emily. But to get to your question, I think fame is really weird. And I think the way that we worship it is really weird. And I am saying this genuinely. I have never read as convincing or compelling a portrayal of fame and the ways that it can be both addictive and corrosive as Hank's novel. It is so smart in the way it writes about that stuff, in the way that it looks at it through the lens of this young woman who becomes initially somewhat famous and then wildly famous as a result of her discovering these carls. Or I guess just one of the Carls. But the thing that gets me about <laughs> Hank's book that I keep coming back to, and I, I mean, I first read it like six months ago, and I, I the reason I can't stop thinking about it is because this young woman can't stop making compromises with herself to continue to become more famous, even though she recognizes pretty early on that she doesn't actually want to become more famous. And that really resonates with me, not only because of my personal experience, but also because of the people I've had around me who were far more famous uh, than I was and and, and Uh seeing the difficulties that they went through. I just think it's a brilliant book. I really do. I'm really excited for people to read it because of that.
0: That was very kind, John. We'll just take that and put that whole thing on the back cover of the, of the book and everybody will be very happy. Uh, available September 25th. I've been thinking a lot about specifically... Um, so there's this this sort of out-of-vogue idea in psychiatry and psychology that uh, there, are, there are these fundamental fears and there's only three of them and I can't remember all three of them at the moment. Um, but one of them is the fear of being negatively judged. And I I think that we are all like very driven by other people's opinions of us. And it's very hard once you start to have like a lot of people having opinions about you, it's almost that the quantity of opinions is superior to the quality of whatever opinion is happening to be had. So a lot of people would almost rather have people think things about them at all than to have people think positive things about them. And that's not like, that's not, I think, actually that irrational of a response because we, like, our society values, um, you know, influence. Like our society values power. And I think that just like our brains value power because ultimately you want to be in a place where you can say, okay, September 25th is no tweet day.
1: I don't like, want to be in that place. I have to say I, I don't I don't buy that because I genuinely don't want to have that right, power. Right. And I don't and think, I, that I think that power should be vested in one person. I think that power yeah. should be vested in institutions. And I think the worship of individuals and individual power is a big part of the problem that yeah. we find ourselves in.
0: But I think that it's the si- it's the simple way to imagine things and so when you don't have a lot of direct experience with it, which most people don't, like you I think that it is very common for people to sort of feel like, oh, that's very appealing, that's very exciting, and imagine what it would be like to be Kim Kardashian. And uh, and I think that that sort of bears out in the popularity of Kim Kardashian. Like, people are excited about her because of her influence, um, and and sort of, like, imagining, imagining that in a sort of hashtag goals kind of way. Um, right, but, in but any the ki-
1: thing is that I don't think Kim Kardashian actually has that much power right there's this run the jewels lyric that goes like who really runs this like who really runs that man that says he runs this and to me that's the truth that Mm -hmm. beneath the individuals who feel that they are wielding power or who we feel are wielding power is a much larger power system that we don't look at very carefully because Mm -hmm we're so concerned with the individuals rather than with the system that produces them and pushes them in this yeah. or that direction.
0: Yeah, like literally no one is powerful enough to create no tweet day. No one can do that. And like that that in itself, it sort of says, says something very interesting about how we imagine power and how we imagine power acting upon us. Um, that like in some ways uh, there is a force But that force is not controlled by any individual and any like even close to any individual. And so all of these, all societal changes have to happen slowly because there is no one who is making these decisions consciously. To Emily's question, I am curious, who were the first fans, John? Who were the first, like, was it like Euclidides? Who's Euclidides? I made it up. I was trying to come up with like a playwright. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Oh, that's good. Yeah. I mean, play early playwrights had fans. I think that for we don't know, because I think that way we have of giving power and influence to individuals, Uh even though in many ways, those individuals are only expressing the whims of much larger forces that are bigger than any of us. I think that goes all the way back. I think that goes back to the earliest human communities. It's just that those early human communities were, you know, a few dozen or a few hundred people big and so it wasn't as widespread there wasn't global fame until you know I don't know, the 18th or 19th century.
0: We got another question, John, that I really think we need to focus on here. It's from Mara, who asks, Dear Hank and John, my boyfriend's mom and stepdad recently bought a a home and have subsequently acquired 500 bottles of the previous owner's homemade wine. Apparently they tried a bottle, and the wine wasn't very... I'm just going to stop reading this question right now. You got to throw that wine away. You might die. You might kill somebody if you sell it on Craigslist. You got 499 bottles of poison.
1: Yeah, first off how bold a person do you have to be to open up someone else's homemade wine? Like, do you know what happened to that person? Do you know how you came to own this property? Is it possible that you came to own this property
0: because they died of homemade wine poisoning? Yeah, or or they had to flee the country because their homemade wine killed someone, or they killed someone and put them in the homemade wine. <laughs>
1: there are so many terrifying possibilities. Get rid of that homemade wine. I Hank, oh, I don't know if God. you know this, but I made homemade wine once.
0: Oh, I bet. I bet you did.
1: When Sarah and I lived in New York, we spent an exorbitant <laughs> amount of money on a homemade wine kit. And I'm not sure what I thought was gonna happen because I should have known <laughs> This is
0: such a beautiful picture. You and Sarah in like your tiny apartment in New York just being like, we're gonna be <laughs> That's
1: totally what we were thinking. 600 square feet and ready for commercial wine production. And, you know, I made like one five-gallon jug of wine, and it was so incredibly bad. And I just remember thinking to myself, I spent $400 on this one incredibly bad five-gallon bucket of wine. I will never... (laughs) Ever engage in any kind of and how was it gardening or horticulture ever again? It was so bad. I mean, it tasted enough like grape juice because it was the alcohol content was way lower than it should have been. It tasted enough like grape juice that I did eventually work my way through the entire five gallons, but only because I knew that it had cost me 400 freaking dollars.
0: Well, so, you know, five gallons of wine is a lot. I My experience with homemade wine is that people bring it over to your house, oh. and then you th- you say to yourself, I wish I was drinking real wine,
1: even $3 wine. Now, of course, I don't want to hurt the feelings of all the hardcore homemade wine people out there. I'm sure that your homemade wine is great, but do not bring it to my
0: house. Yeah, I don't trust you. Let's be honest. I don't trust you to, to create something that I enjoy the flavor of, and I don't trust you not to kill me. John, I have an important update. I said vinter when I was talking about someone who makes wine. Yeah. It is, in fact, vintner, and I would like you to know when I typed in vinter into the uh, Google, uh, the first thing that came up, it says, noun, vinter, the coldest of the four seasons. <laughs> <laughs> no way. It does. I think it's a different language, maybe. No way. That's what it says. Winter, the coldest of the four seasons on Wiktionary.
1: You know, it does. It does. It's Danish. Hank, you've been a Danish speaker this whole time. It's the Danish, Norwegian, and Swedish word for winter. So there you go. All right, Hank, let's get to this question from Carly, who writes, Dear John and Hank, my friends Snapchat and drive. They snap themselves... Talking into the camera, singing to the radio, or they just snap a video of the dashboard because they like the song on the radio. Obviously, this is dangerous, but I haven't managed to convince anyone that they're doing anything wrong. Driving feels safe, even though it is the most dangerous thing people do every day. How do I get through to my friends before they kill us all? Wonderwall and Rex Carly. Carly, there need to be more people in the world like you who are afraid of the things that we should be afraid of and not afraid of the things that we shouldn't be afraid of, like shark attacks or whatever. I have vlogged while driving. I feel terrible about it. I feel like I... Made a terrible, terrible example that other people might have followed and thereby endangered their lives. It's not a funny business. It is so incredibly serious. One of the very few ways in which life is getting worse for humans in 2018 is that the number of motor vehicle accidents leading to serious injury and death in the United States is not dropping even though our cars are getting safer and the reason it's not dropping is because of distracted driving.
0: Yeah. I mean, I like I don't I I don't know if there's a way to sort of like do it in a way that isn't super confrontational and doesn't drive people to defensiveness. Will there be where they sort of like, like get even more tied into their bad way of behaving? If there's some kind of uh, like basically meme that you can create among your friends that like you are the person who cares about this and you're gonna give them a hard time about it every single time, and that's because you love them. If there's like you're just gonna you, you basically you you draw like a a Tyrannosaurus Rex. Yep. And he's called he's called Snappy the Don't Snap While You're Driving T Rex. Yep and you and you take a picture and send that to them every time and you say i'm not every time you get a snappy i'm not talking to you for a day there's no more snapchatting and oh, i'm assuming so- by the fact that you're using snapchat that you are under the age of 25 and so everyone you're snapchatting with is fairly new to the whole driving thing And that is when a lot of accidents happen when people are fairly new to the driving thing You start to think that you're pretty good at it But it turns out that you haven't experienced a lot of the things that you might experience the sort of out outside edge cases of of traffic unfortunateness and uh, and then people end up hurt and it's very bad and And like a legitimate cause of a tremendous amount of tragedy and pain in the world. And so I think that like if you can put together a good old Snappy the T-Rex, don't snap while you're driving T-Rex picture, please do that. Do I have the power to do that at least, John? Probably,
1: although I think that your understanding of both teen culture and meme culture are pretty weak. But I like the idea of Snappy the T Rex. It doesn't seem at all like a cringy thing invented by a 38 year old <laughs> to keep the young people from distracted driving. It doesn't seem like that at all. It seems like people are totally going to respond to that. They're going to be
0: like, oh, wow, I got a Snappy the
1: T Rex. I'm in big trouble.
0: John, this is how it happens. This is how terrible ideas occur. But I swear if a actual if an actual teen does this and it's their <laughs> idea not mine, it will be super cool, right? Yes, it will be super cool. Carly, I actually think
1: that's a pretty good idea, which speaks to the fact that I'm even older than Hank. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess there is an off chance that you are yourself our age carly in which case your friends have two problems one they shouldn't be snapchatting that is for young people and two they shouldn't be driving while distracted but anyway all of that reminds me hank that today's podcast is brought to you by our number one most important sponsor snappy the t-rex snappy the t-rex reminding you not to snap while driving (laughs) is snap the right verb for snapchatting i don't even know yes not to snap while driving since 2018.
0: And uh, this podcast is also brought to you by James Patterson's Tweet Nothing Day. James (laughs) Patterson's working together with social media celebrities across the world, including the Nerdfighter who runs Kanye West's Twitter account, to create a day in which no one tweets anything, but you do tweet something, it's just nothing's in the tweets.
1: And of course, today's podcast is brought to you by 499 bottles of probably poisonous homemade wine. Not for sale. And finally, this podcast is made out of newborn babies. They're made out of mom. All right, you didn't say sponsored by, you said that this podcast was made out of newborn babies, but (laughs) whatever, I like it. I think it's weird, you're pretty sleep deprived because you have a young child, so it's kind of true and I like it. We also have a Project for Awesome message. Uh, Alex donated to the Project for Awesome so that we would read this message to Tommy, you are an amazing person and your friends and family know it they all love you i love you never forget that there is a small chance that i mispronounced tommy in which case some of the like movingness of that message would get lost so in case it's
0: i'm just gonna hope that it's tommy (laughs) good job john Also, John, we are putting together a Dear Hank and John survey. There's a link to it in the show notes. If you like Dear Hank and John, we want to learn a little bit more about you uh, and also what you'd like us to do on the podcast and the other things that you might be into. Uh, So if you could go to the show notes... And I don't really know how show notes work, but whatever app you're using, there's probably a thing there, and there will be a link there, and you can use that. It's SurveyMonkey.com/r/DHJSurvey2018. It's a super easy to remember URL. This is not
1: like one of those annoying surveys that other podcasts make you take where they only ask questions about how to market more effectively to you. This is a survey where we ask questions about how to market more effectively to you and also other things.
0: (laughs) Yeah, So please
1: take the survey if you have a chance. It is really, really helpful for us to understand who you are and what Mm -hmm. stuff you're into, what you like about the pod, what you don't like, what you'd like to see more of and less of that sort of thing.
0: Okay, John, this next question comes from Mark, who asks, Dear Hank and John, so what do you do when you're mad crushing on somebody who lives a long way away? Is it better to be honest, stay as friendly correspondents, or just wean... Is it is it better to be honest, stay as friendly correspondents, or just wean off communication to save yourself some heartache? P&P, Mark. What's P&P? Pride and Prejudice? Uh, I assume so, but
1: it could <laughs> also be... Proctor and Proctor, a new, an exciting new multinational corporation. It could refer to one of the world's largest golf cart dealerships, PNP Golf Carts. It could refer to PNP Home Services. Oh wait, Urban Dictionary. P and P means party and play, which is about sex stuff and meth. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Why did you trick us,
1: Mark? The rest of your question was pretty normal, and then you made us say a meth thing. God, as if we weren't already old enough, Hank, after inventing Snappy, the anti-distracted driving T-Rex. Good Lord.
0: Okay. Ugh. I mean, I think that in general, when the love compounds start flowing in our brains and we start to feel really attached and and just the... That's a lo- It's a lovely feeling, but I think that it, our brains can start doing a lot of tricks to make us think that a thing is possible when it may not be possible. I don't I feel bad about saying this, but it starts I doing all agree. kinds of weird gymnastics. And like your brain turns into like like spinny flippy Simone Biles trying to convince you how you're going to make this work. I disagree
1: with everything that you just said, except for the fact that Simone Biles is really good at f- flipping, which she is <laughs> fantastic at. she's an amazing amazing athlete but the rest of that uh, what you said I completely disagree with Uh, it is totally possible to have a fulfilling long distance relationship and if that Relationship doesn't, this person end in, doesn't
0: have a relationship yet this person. He's just crushing on somebody who's a long way away Right, so I'm saying
1: to, if you want to tell the person that you want to be in a long-distance relationship with them Tell them that and see how it goes and if it doesn't yeah, work out yeah. then so whatever such is life But if it does work out, that's great I know that I'm a big defender of long-distance relationships because I had a really fulfilling one when I was in college But I don't think there's anything wrong with them. So that's my advice mark. Just communicate Communicate is good 99% of these questions could be answered With the word communicate followed by an exclamation point
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's a good shirt We should make that shirt
1: the other 1% of questions can be answered, of course, with Snappy the T-Rex. This next question comes from Frazz, who writes, Dear John and Hank, I'm currently sitting in the middle seat of an airplane using my 15 minutes of free plane Wi-Fi to ask you an incredibly pressing question. Shortly after takeoff, the people on either side of me fell asleep, wasting both the view and the clear access to the bathroom for the foreseeable future. The attendants have just started serving the food, and my question is, can I take the subpar food that was meant for them? Thanks, Frazz.
0: No, don't take strangers' food from them. They could wake up at any moment.
1: No, oh, we're going to have to disagree again, I see.
0: Are you, you're going you're to steal a stranger's food? Well, John, I'll, t- <clears throat>
1: I'll tell you. You st- didn't
0: even buy their house and inherit it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'll tell you a story. About five days ago, I was flying on a plane with my son to London, and they wake you up, even mm-hmm. though I didn't really sleep that well. Because you know, I was on a plane with my son. They wake you up and they give you breakfast, right? But Henry didn't want to wake up. Which credit to him, he was trying to get a full night's sleep on the six-hour red-eye flight. And so it was like this. I don't. I don't even know how you say this, right? Is it like acai? Acai? akai? You know those things?
0: Oh, the little berries. Yeah. I don't yeah, know those how to like say berry it bowls.
1: It was one of those. Yeah. One of those bowls, and. I ate it. It didn't even. I, he wasn't awake.
0: It doesn't. He doesn't care. He He's doesn't notice. He's your son. This is a person you have a relationship with. You steal his food. All that I steal his food. Yeah, I it, guess we it's have a little a bit different. We
1: know each other. It's a little bit different, but I don't think it's that different. I if the person look if if the food's just sitting there, just just eat it real quick. <laughs>
0: You're in the middle seat. You're
1: suffering. You're going through a hard time. I guess you're
0: suffering. Yeah, well, it depends. Like if it's like a if it's like a Biscoff cracker or like yeah. a bag of pretzels, maybe. But if it's like a tray with dinner on it, you can't start picking off their tray.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I don't know.
0: Bag of pretzels. And, and I feel like an acai or a kai or whatever that is, one of those bowls. That's 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 sort of an in-between place. Well, you can take the whole bowl, and it's like, oh, they just gave me two. They didn't give you one. I got three of them, and you two didn't get any. I don't know what happened. That's what I actually did. I stacked the bowls so that he'd never notice. (laughs) 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 Until he
1: listens to the pod, that is. All right, Hank, we need to get to the all-important news from Mars and AFC
0: Wimbledon. What is the news from Mars this week? You know how Mars has two real good moons?
1: Yes, top-notch
0: moons. You know, Phobos and Deimos are are, are Mars's two uh, two good old moons. They're smaller than our moon. They're sort of lumpy and potatoey because they're not big enough to form themselves into spheres when they were forming. Mm-hmm. And uh, and there's a lot of sort of question about how they formed. And some people think that they were just captured asteroids because they look like asteroids. They're the size of some asteroids and the shape of asteroids. But um, and we we to be clear, we will know this for sure in like 2029. But I think the J- the Japanese space agency is sending a mission to one of those two moons, I couldn't tell you which one, taking a sample and sending it back. It's a lot easier to send back a sample from Phobos or Deimos because they're so light that uh, the return trip is actually pretty easy because you don't have to escape a gravity well, really. And uh, yeah, so they're gonna, like, we'll be able to analyze a piece of one of these moons, which will tell us basically everything we ever wanted to know. So, but at the moment, it remains a mystery uh, but they probably aren't captured asteroids, which was our theory for a long time, mm. because they they both are in they rotate around Mars right at Mars's equator, which would mm. be a really weird coincidence if they were captured asteroids. They also rotate in a way that like uh, would be it would be very strange for them to be in such uh, such like non elliptical orbits. Their orbits are pretty circular. If they were captured asteroids and also there have been some computer models that say like if this thing if you capture these moons that way they would be ripped apart by the tidal forces of being captured in Mars's gravity. So the the new theory was that like Mars was hit just like Earth was in early in the solar system's formation by a giant impactor of some kind and that threw off some stuff around Mars that eventually coalesced into these moons. Um, And that impactor was pretty big uh, in our former models, but a new paper just came out and it says that that impactor probably didn't have to be nearly as big as we thought it had to be in order for it to throw up the amount of stuff that ended up in Phobos and Deimos. So there's a new study basically uh, that uh, says, yes, it's likely and very probable that it was um, that these moons were caused by a an object not even that big of an object, certainly big and like global scale catastrophe, but not like the object that hit us that formed our moon. And, uh, and and was like less than 1% of the mass of Mars that was able to create these moons. But we won't know that for sure until hopefully uh, the early tw- the late 2020s, early 2030s, when we start to analyze some actual pieces of these Martian moons. Whenever I think
1: about the fact that our moon and potentially these two moons as well were formed by asteroids that led to a huge chunk of the planet Mm. entering the orbit of the planet yeah (laughs) i am reminded of how stupidly unlikely life as we know it is
0: (laughs) (laughs) well that may be true it may not be i don't know uh Obviously, we've only got a sample size of one right now in terms of planets that have life on them. But but I think there's a lot to be said for the possibility that life could be not as rare as we think. But, well, it's not that I think life is rare. It was very early in the solar system um, that this happened. And, and basically, Earth was hit by basically a planet. Like right. another planet hit us. Right. And that's like... It'd be I mean, like, what if, if, like, the thing I think about is, like, all the different ways the dice could have rolled, and we could have ended up with very easily two planets very close to each other, both with a lot of water, both with a lot of, like, good gases that would be conducive to life, and we could have ended up in a solar system where life happened twice in a very big way, the way that it happened on Earth. And that would have been a very different trajectory. When we were, like, early when we first were trying to figure out Mars and we were getting telescopes that could see it pretty well, we were starting to think, like, there's probably life on that planet. But it turned out, when we went, there was not. But what if we had gone and there was? That would have been so deeply different, a future for humanity. It would have been, but in a way,
1: we experienced that in the Columbian Exchange, because there were two worlds that had very Mm -hmm. that had a few connecting points obviously over the course of the last 250,000 years but that that were pretty separate for a lot Mm -hmm. of human history and then we discovered that there was essentially you you know a a second half of the world whether that second half was you you know Afro-Eurasia or the Americas depending on your Depended, Mm -hmm. of course, on where you were when it happened. But, yeah, I mean, I I, I think it would be very weird if there were a second planet full of life. And to be clear, I don't think that life is likely to be rare in the universe. I just think the universe is so big. Yeah. It's so weird and big. The more weird. (laughs) It's so weird and big and we're made out of meat. But 11 of these meat sticks that we call humans took the field for AFC Wimbledon on Saturday. (laughs) How's that for a transition?
0: <laughs> Did you just say meat sticks?
1: Yeah, that's basically what we are. Just sort of <laughs> stick shaped. I was pretty sure meat. I knew
0: what your phrase of the week was, but now I'm feeling like meat sticks. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Now, now you've made it. You've made it more complicated for me. So, Henry
1: and I went to see the AFC Wimbledon game against Oldham. We had a really wonderful time. It was a really special day for both of us, and he had such a great time. And I, I can't recommend going and seeing a Wimbledon game highly enough to people who are even a little bit interested in it. But this was a very important game because we are now down to the last few games of the season, and it is tight tight, tight at the bottom. In the end, it was a 2-2 draw for Wimbledon. Uh, Two good goals, one scored by John Meads, one in which John Meads assisted uh, Joe Piggott, who put the ball away very nicely in the back of the net. But unfortunately, Wimbledon gave up uh, two goals, gave up a lead twice. The second goal was scored in the 73rd minute. Uh, It was pretty frustrating, but... A point is a point, and right now, a point is not a bad uh, result. Uh, Three points would be better. As I've said repeatedly on this podcast, every year for the last 20 years, 52 points has been enough to stay up in League One. We have 50 points with three games remaining, so we should only need, by historical standards, two points to stay up from the next three games. However, it's looking like this season might be be the season where you need more than 52 points for the first time in two decades, in which case we would mm. need probably to win one of our last three games and potentially win one and draw one. Uh, it's just so tight at the bottom right now. One mm-hmm. development uh, over the last seven days is that the franchise currently plying its trade in Milton Keynes has functionally been relegated from League One and will spend next season in the fourth tier of English football. Wow. And Happened. That it happened, uh, so now it's, it's just a matter of Wimbledon finding a way to stay up, and maybe we'll never have to play those guys ever again. That would be a good outcome, but yeah, we've got to <laughs> win one of our last three games. The last game of the season is against Barry, who are already oh. relegated, and mm-hmm. so that should be a winnable game, but you never want it to come down to the last game because no. all kinds of weird things can happen when people are yes. under unspeakable pressure. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, you know, it, it's just it's uh, it's stressful, Hank. I, I, I mm-hmm. wake up in every morning. The first thing I do is look at the League One table and try to figure out all the ways that things could go. But at this point, we just need to play out the last couple games.
0: Well, I mean, the good thing was I was paying attention to this, that like not nobody in the bottom of the table won their game. Yeah. and Yeah. Uh, so that helps. It and does it, help. like and and that you drew is good. Yeah, yeah,
1: yep. I mean, it's possible that 50 points, the the number of points we have now will be enough, although I suspect not. I suspect we need. Let's just get a win this weekend against Doncaster and just calm down. I mean, this has been the most stressful (laughs) 43 game stretch that I certainly I've had uh, as a sponsor and supporter of AFC Wimbledon. So I am. Let's just get those three points
0: get the points. All right, John. What is my was my phrase of the week? Is it bag of pretzels? Nope, it was not bag of pretzels. Uh, what was it? Simone Biles. Oh god, of course. <laughs> It's a little bit of an unusual Phrase of the Week suggested by Kimberly from the Project for Austin. Thank you, Kimberly, for, for Simone Biles. Uh, wow, that's a great I, Phrase I of the like Week how, suggestion,
1: Kimberly. Congratulations. I, like,
0: I worked it out. I made it, made it happen. John, I think yours was a bowl. You're right. That's what it was.
1: Yes! Oh, man. I... I made up that whole story about stealing my son's food. I didn't know how else to work it in. That was uh, suggested by an anonymous Project for Awesome donor. So thank you, anonymous, for donating to the Project for Awesome. And I mean, let's face it, I'm always bad at the phrase of the week, but
0: especially
1: when it's a word I don't know how to pronounce.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I also had uh, meat sticks and shark attacks as my alts. Yeah,
1: I mean, meat sticks, I was trying to throw that in there at the last second as a curveball, but you you recognized it for exactly what it was. (laughs) All right, John, what do we learn today? Well, we learned that if you come into 499 bottles
0: of homemade wine, you need to dispose of them immediately. You learned that Snappy the T-Rex can protect you from the actual proper danger that you face daily. Uh,
1: And we learned that James Patterson gets to publish on Mondays. And we're all made out of meat. Thank you for listening uh, to this week's podcast. Thanks to Hank for podding with me. And thanks to everybody who supports our podcast on Patreon at patreon.com slash dear Hank and John. We really appreciate it. We use that money to fund Crash Course and SciShow and the art assignment and the other stuff we do here at Complexly. So thank you. And we're going to go record now our podcast for Patreon supporters this week in Ryan's The
0: Worst Eight Minutes of Your Week. (laughs) we should talk it up more John Catherine listens to it and she says it's good well I,
1: I like to lower people's expectations instead of raising them Hank that's probably the right call will you read the credits
0: yeah, if you want to email us your questions, please do that. That's how we uh, thats how we make the podcast happen. It's Dear Hank and... Nope, it's John at gmail.com. No dear. Uh, and John and I are John Green and Hank Green on Twitter, but less and less so. <laughs> <laughs> um, this podcast is edited by Nicholas Jenkins. It's uh, produced by Rosianna Hals-Rojas and Sheridan Gibson. Our head of community and communications is Victoria Bongiorno. The music that you're hearing now and at the beginning of the episode and during This Week in Ryan's is by the great Gunnerola, and as they say in our hometown, don't, don't forget, forget to be, to be awesome. awesome.